You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. And as we looked at Acts over the last couple of weeks, we've been bringing together uh, ways that this has come together. And we're coming now to chapter 16. Uh, so this will be up on the screens. If you have a, a paper Bible, if you have a digital Bible, I invite you to follow along. Uh, we'll be looking this morning at uh, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1 through 10. And it tells us that Paul reached Derby and then Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy. He was the son of a believing Jewish woman and a Greek father. The brothers and sisters in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take Timothy with him, so he circumcised him. This was because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew Timothy's father was Greek. Paul and his companions traveled through the cities. They instructed Gentile believers to keep the regulations put in place by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and every day their numbers flourished. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of Pythagorea and Galatia because the Holy Spirit kept them from speaking the word in the province of Asia. When they approached the province of Myasia, they tried to enter the province of Bethantia, and the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas instead. The vision of a man from Macedonia came to Paul during the night. He stood urging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. And so this morning, we'll look together at these passages and, and how they can help us understand the way that the gospel began, the way that it took place after the time of Jesus, and that transition period where it went from, from founder to disciples in that season. And so the character that we have kind of worked around all the way up until this point is really the main character from the New Testament kind of on. Of course, Jesus is the main character of the New Testament, but the main person who's responsible for this becomes the Apostle Paul, right? We see Paul's name across the letters, across much of Acts. But we have intentionally, in the first couple of chapter, chapters, looked at the other characters who surrounded this point, who were impactful in the church. Some of the names we knew and some of the names that we didn't know, and some of the stories that reminded us that the gospel of Jesus is, is surprising, is uh, is expansive in its reach, and it's subversive in the way it handles culture. So I want to remind us of who Paul is, because when we meet him in the scriptures here, his name is Paul. Of course, his name was initially Saul. And I want to remind you again that I want you to imagine the most vicious supporter of one particular worldview. And that particular supporter changing their mind and becoming the primary advocate for the worldview that they previously assaulted. This is Paul. Saul goes from not just not liking the followers of the way, the Christians, but actually hunting them down, arresting them, and even in the case of Stephen, standing by and holding all the garments of all the other guys who threw rocks and stoned Stephen until he died. Right? So this isn't just kind of a casual person who's kind of like, I don't like that group. Saul goes from, from really one side to the other. I want to remind us of this about Saul and invite us just to think about the, the polarizations that we see today in our own world. How we find people adamantly 
and sometimes even violently against other side. And what it might take for someone to go from, from that place to this place. To advocating and fully believing in that. And so we're going to look a little bit about how that shift occurred in Paul's own heart, in Saul's heart. And so, of course, we met Saul in chapter 7. And this is how Saul actually described himself, or was described. Oh, my clicker gave, there we go, thanks. Uh, Saul is described in chapter 8, so a couple of verses back when we read. It says, Saul began to wreak havoc against the church. Entering one house after another, he would drag off both men and women and throw them in prison. And that particular word there, wreak havoc, is one that is described when a, a, a wild beast ravages another animal. And this is the word that Luke felt was best suited for describing Saul. Someone who ravages like a wild animal attacks another animal. That's how he was to the church. And just before we think that this is how other people spoke of him, uh, later in his letter to the church in Galatia, uh, we see this here. Paul is writing and says, You heard about my previous life in Judaism, how I severely harassed God's church and tried to destroy it. That word destroy is a military term, which means to completely besiege a city, to completely just level and raise a city. And so Paul is saying, this is who I was. I don't deny it. I would attack God's church with that kind of military vigor and passion with the hope of just completely wiping out this entire idea. And it's worth us reminding ourselves that everything that Paul did as Saul was done in the name of God and was done because he believed himself to be a defender of the faith. He believed that everything he was doing to the church was what God wanted him to do, was the perspective of God. And this was a good thing in his mind. And so when he encounters the risen Christ one day along the road, as he's on his way with papers officially in hand to arrest Christians, he encounters the risen Christ on the road, and his heart is changed from a heart of war to a heart of peace and grace. And we notice as we watch Paul in the chapters to come in today's chapter that the way that he goes about his mission is not like he used to before. He still has a drive and a passion, but it's motivated not by tearing down others, but by building up communities. And that makes a big difference. His method would be to introduce people to the risen Christ as he had experienced them, and to live the faith in real and tangible ways in the same way that Jesus did. And so as the result of this, as a result of the work that Paul has been doing, we're told in Acts, as we looked at this morning, that the churches flourished. And I thought that was a really interesting word choice on behalf of Luke. Because Luke could have said that the churches uh, grew numerically. There's kind of this idea that their numbers were there, but... They grew numerically. They grew on a spreadsheet. You could see their averages tracking up. We would have might have expected Luke to use what we use, which is these kind of mathematical terms to measure growth. But he says that their numbers flourished. And that was just an interesting enough word to catch my attention. 
And I think this is a good practice that as you read Scripture too, when you come across a word that catches your attention or that gives you just a moment of pause, for me, I found that's God's gentle nudge to say, hey, let's hold on here and look at this. We're going to come back to that word choice because it's going to factor into the way that we understand God's call for our lives. But I want to kind of highlight that so we remember this idea of flourishing. Uh, But first, what I want to do is take us to a map. I love maps. Not everyone does. So if you don't, just indulge me for a few moments. (laughs) But I think for some of us, it's at least helpful to begin to see what is happening and where. Uh, So in this map here, we've got Judea and Jerusalem down here. Of course, this is where most of the ministry of Jesus takes place. And then the names that we heard mentioned this morning uh, were up here around Derbe and Lystra and Iconium. Uh, Paul ends up traveling over here to Myasia and Asia and Troas and then going over to Macedonia. And sometimes these can seem like words that don't mean a lot uh, because we don't understand them in context of today. There's a little bit of a confusion, too, because it talks about the province of Asia. And what I want to remind us is that this whole area is what we call modern-day Turkey. So this entire area here is modern-day Turkey. Uh, This is Greece right here. And so even though the Scriptures tell us that he couldn't go into these areas, what it tells us is that uh, Paul traveled up from this area. He came to Derbe and Lystra in this central part of Turkey. He tries to go into this portion here. And he tries to go into the portion to the top, the western and northern parts of Turkey. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit prevents him from doing so. And so without another direction, he's kind of forced to go over to Troas. And that's where he has the vision to go over to the other side to Greece and would begin his ministry over here. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And I want us to have this modern concept because this idea of what was still plays into what is today. But as I thought about this, there's this question lingering in my mind as we read the Scripture this morning. Why was Paul prevented from going into these areas? And what does that mean for us today in particular? Throughout all of Paul's mission, it's maybe hard to tell sometimes by the twists and the turns, but Paul was one of these people who had a very strategic approach to life. And so he balanced a strategic approach to starting new churches with a keen sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And the way that he would do this was a couple of ways. He would listen for prophetic words. So if he was at a church and someone had a vision or an idea of what he might do next, they would share that, and Paul would weigh that out as a next step from God. Other ways where he would listen for inward promptings, just a nudge or a hint from the Spirit that this was the direction or the way to go next. Sometimes, as we saw today, it would come in dreams, and sometimes the plan of God would come simply with a, no, not this way. And so by these different methods, Paul would navigate and plant churches around through this area of what we now know today as Turkey. And one of the questions I had as I looked at the Scripture was, well, why not that area? Those areas that they mentioned that Paul was prevented from were some of the more populated and populous areas in the day. There was lots of people there. It was a ripe place to go. It was the most natural place to go after his journeys just kind of dotted him along. Why go way further and miss all the people that were here? And at first, what Paul gets is a not this way from God, but not a here's your next step. 
How many of us have ever been in that spot before where we get this sense that either God is saying to us or our conscience is saying to us, not that way? And we say, okay, but where then, right? And so what Paul is hearing as he turns to, towards the western part of Turkey is, nope. And as he turns towards the northern part of Turkey, nope. And so he just finds himself, well, all that leaves is this channel that kind of takes me out to the edge of Turkey. And I believe this is a good reminder for us because there are many times in our lives, mine included, where I sense that it's not that direction and not that direction, but I don't have another sense, right? My GPS will tell me where to go next. And sometimes, as it is with God, we don't always know that next step. And sometimes that's frustrating, right? In fact, a lot of times that is. And I wonder how Paul might have felt in that moment too. Because you and I need to know the info now. Life moves fast, and we need to know the next step of what's coming up. We are often, I believe, in a bigger hurry to get where we perceive that we need to go than God is in a hurry to get us there. I am usually keenly aware of where I want to go, but I've learned that oftentimes I am in a much bigger hurry than God. And this is one of those things that we have to wrestle with, that in a sense, we know what God wants from us, and we are eager to get there, but we are in a bigger hurry. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that the Spirit's pace is not our pace. The Holy Spirit's pace is not always my pace. And y'all, that is frustrating. <laughs> That's frustrating because we feel these decisions need to be made. We need to take the next steps. We need to know where to go. And sometimes those, that information just doesn't come. I mean, think about this, too. It's not just everyday decisions. Paul's mission was to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus personally called Paul to be the person who brings that message to the Gentiles. And so Paul might be thinking, I'm doing what you asked me to do, and you keep telling me no on all sides. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do, and kind of literally the next step to take, right? And what I hear in this is that the spread of the gospel was important, but God was not rushed. God was not rushed in a hurry to get this done. It wasn't all though, as though it seemed like it had to be done in that moment or everything would just fall apart. And if that leaves you a little unsettled, it leaves me a little unsettled too. I'm used to a sense of urgency that means that everything that is good must be done right now. And the idea that God is not in a hurry and that God is not rushed must mean that there are bigger plans and purposes than I can really get my head around. And what's interesting, if we want to kind of make this question a little more perplexing, is that while Paul was praying to go into western Turkey and he got a no, it wasn't a no forever. His journeys would eventually take him back around that way. I've got the map up here again, and if some of these names sound familiar to you, what, what would happen is eventually he would come back up here and found churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And if those sound familiar, it's because they're the seven churches that come up in the book of Revelations. These are the churches that were established, and in the book of Revelation, these are the ones that have a letter written to them. And so if we're thinking that God was just saying no in that moment, what it was was just a not right now. These people mattered. These places were important. They were significant. But that wasn't the next step for Paul. And for all of us who love things to resolve nicely and cleanly, and for us to have an answer to why, 
we just don't get that in the scriptures. I can make one up, right? We could try to figure it out together, but the best that I can find is just, I don't know. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we would need to wrestle with a faith that is complex enough where there are times in life where we just say, I don't know. I don't know 100% what God is doing right now. There have been times in the past where maybe I've been clearly led from Derby to Lystra, whatever that looks like. But at this season in my life, at this season in my faith, I get the sense it's not this way and it's not this way, but I'm not exactly sure what my next step is. And I'm in a real big hurry to figure it out. But it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like God is ready to reveal that step to me at this time. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge this ambiguity in our faith, not because it's comfortable or fun, but because it's real. And because to do anything else would negate most of the experiences that many of us have had over the years. So this shift probably frustrated Paul to a great deal. And it frustrated the strategy that he had, which was to continue to minister in large areas where there were lots of people, because that's how, that's how messages and movements spread. The Spirit's change allowed him to plant more churches. Maybe it protected him from something that he would experience there. We don't know if that's the case. Maybe it saved something for later that he just wasn't sure about. Maybe the timing just wasn't right. You know, as I was reading this passage, I got to thinking, as I mentioned earlier, about uh, our youth group here at Citrus. Uh, and we have had a dream since we began. We began kind of as a, as a church, we began saying, well, what's one population in this community that we can reach? And we thought, well, there's a lot of people with young kids. Let's start there. Uh, and with God's help, we've, done, uh, and we've had the opportunity to, to do that. But we always knew that we wanted to have a group for middle and high schoolers. And we had a really great plan to do this in 2020, right? Like January 2021, we had pieces in place to go ahead and launch our youth group. I don't have to tell you what came after that. But we also felt like that was the right time back then. And, and what happened was the, the pandemic basically said, no, this isn't going to happen. And we were thinking, well, we got these youth, and this is important, and this is the right time. And so if you fast forward to this year, what we found is that we had a chance now to begin again and to try again. And we began over the summer, uh, volunteers in our church council kind of bringing these students together, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Um, and I'm going to call her out just because she mentioned this, but Jacqueline, who's our church council chair for youth, said to me at one point that this was the right time and we really needed to wait. We couldn't have done this in the previous year. There's new people and new students that have brought life and vigor. There's a way that the group has come together. And it was important then, and it's important today. But for whatever reason, partially because of the pandemic, but maybe for other reasons that we're just not aware of, now was the right time for it. And I wonder how many of us have experienced that same thing in our life, where we are ready for things to come together, and they just aren't coming together as quickly as we would like and we have to exercise patience without a plan. What I can see from Paul is that Paul didn't have all the answers, but Paul continued to trust in God's Spirit and to keep moving on. It reminds me that we too can trust in God's Spirit, and we can continue to take steps in a forward direction or what we think is a forward direction with God. 
Like Paul, we can continue to make strategic movements as we plan for our work, our life, our school, and our family, even if we're not exactly sure what's next in that case. And it does seem like in these last couple of months, every time we feel as a world, as a community, that we're taking a couple of steps forward, we end up taking a couple more steps back, right? Like we make some progress, and then we make less progress. And so perhaps what we're hearing right now is a not right now. Maybe what we're getting is a closed door from one direction that we'd like to go in. Maybe what we're sensing is a complete change of course. And maybe that opens up new and exciting possibilities for us. And maybe that opens up the loss of a plan or a dream or what could have been or could be. And what I want to be clear about at this point is that God is not the author of bad things. God doesn't put things in our path to make us trip. God doesn't close doors because of some kind of like sick and twisted idea of just like, I'm just going to make this life harder for this person, right? God doesn't cause, for example, this week hurricanes and death and pandemics. What we find instead is the God who walks with us in this journey. And though we don't always get the answers in that moment that we want, we still find that there is one who is present with us who is closer than a friend. We are also aware that some of these directional changes for Paul came from the Holy Spirit, but sometimes in our lives, directional changes come maybe from God and maybe from other sources, maybe from evil or for bad things that are happening. Sometimes things make sense later, like with our youth group, and we can say, oh, yeah, this year, if we started last year, we weren't ready. This year, we're ready. And y'all, honestly, sometimes we just don't have the answers. Sometimes we don't know, and they don't make sense later. I had a seminary professor uh, who used to write in his Bible uh, this, th- th- these letters, N-E-L. And he would tell us that on this particular passage, there just wasn't enough light. Not enough light. And that was his way as a, as a seminary professor for probably 40 years at that point of reading a scripture and just saying, there just isn't enough light at this point in history to fully understand what God is doing here. And I think that there are chapters in our life where we simply write N-E-L next to it because there is just not enough light revealed in the world yet to understand exactly what's happening. Maybe we will understand later. Maybe we'll just have to embrace this thing and carry it with us. And again, maybe we're hoping that everything gets tied up nicely with a nice little bow on top and that everything about our faith journey with God just always comes together very perfectly. But I wouldn't be telling the truth, and you would know that I was making something up because life doesn't always tie together nicely with a little bow. But in those moments, we can recognize that there is just not enough light at this moment, but that God is still with us. I think if that makes sense for Scripture, it makes sense for our life. So what do you do this morning if you're in a time where maybe directions are changing? Maybe you're still looking for more light. Maybe you're facing an unsure next step and you're trying to figure out what to do. Well, I want to take us back to that idea of flourishing. Do you remember that from that original passage that we looked at? The churches were strengthened in their faith, and every day their numbers flourished. And I mentioned how that word captured something, and I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. 
It says their numbers flourished. And when I think of numbers flourishing, I tend to think of uh, my bank account increasing. That's a nice little flourish. Uh, we think of churches flourishing kind of numerically, and we get excited when numerically the numbers trend upwards. We get excited in life when we can say that we're flourishing, and we tend to measure that by the things around us, the square footage that we have. And these are all good things, and we can be thankful for them, but we tend to measure flourishing more often than not as kind of the amount of things that we have around us that make us feel like we have arrived or attained in life. And we measure ourselves successful because of that. But though we see this as the churches are growing in numbers and they flourished, what the passage is trying to tell us is not so much about a number that was increasing on a spreadsheet, but about a depth of community and about a power of relationship. It was more about the interconnectedness of the people in the church than about how many were showing up at their doors. This word here, of course, means to increase, but what it actually means is that they were more than sufficient. The nuance here is that they had enough. They had enough. And that idea of enough, I'll be honest, is something that I chase after a lot of days. I wonder how much of our life is driven by feeling like I've got to have more so I can have enough. Enough for myself, enough for my family. And I tend to measure that in things that, that make my life flourish more. And sometimes I need that reminder from God that what is enough and what matters is the quality of the relationships, the community of people, the work that God is doing among us, whether we understand the direction or not at this particular time. You see, we know that the world gives us this idea of scarcity, that we ought to gather all that we can, that we ought to grow at all costs. It doesn't matter the, out, the impact or the fallout. Just continue to see your numbers increase, right? And that's how we know that we flourished. And there's an urgency around that that churches sometimes feel too, that we must flourish. Our numbers must grow at all costs. So if someone gets stuck under the bus, then that's the cost of growth. But I'm reminded that when Paul wrote, he used this particular word, flourished again. Uh, and we see this here, sorry, uh, with Luke first. Jesus said to them, watch out, guard yourselves against all kind of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions of flourishing, even when someone is wealthy. It reminds me that they struggled back then in the same way that we struggle today. And so, the measurements that we have are very different. I want to share with you this passage from Philippians chapter 4. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, one of those churches uh, that got established later. He says, I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I've learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and having more than enough. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, whether having plenty or being poor, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ. And this is a really great passage. And it gets even better when you realize where Paul's writing it from. When Paul writes this letter to Philippi, he's in prison for sharing the gospel. 
for doing the thing that God called him to do. He is in prison. And he's saying, from prison, I'm content in every circumstance. I've got more than enough. I've got the secret to being content, right? I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. And my hunch is he wasn't sitting in prison thinking, man, this is God's plan for me, right? But somehow he was able to recognize that God was with him despite these circumstances. That in fact, he might say he was flourishing. And he didn't measure that by his outward circumstances. He measured his flourishing by the extent to which he was able to do all things through the power of the one who gives him strength. So it wasn't about the strength that Paul had. It wasn't about how much he could accomplish. It wasn't about how many people he could convert to Christ. It was simply about being aware of God's spirit within him. And we would call that grace. The grace to know that it doesn't depend upon us at the end of the day. That at the end of the day, what matters is are we flourishing in our relationship with God and with others? And I'll be honest, that is such a hard thing to get my head around as an American living in this time that my flourishing isn't about how much I have, but how much we have together as a community of people. And so I want to invite us to see how Acts really becomes this redefinition of how we measure what matters in life. How we can flourish when our direction and our desire come true but we can also flourish when they don't and when we're facing large changes. We can flourish when we hear the word go from the Spirit, but we can also flourish when we hear the words wait and no or nothing at all. We can measure flourishing by, by our square footage, by what we can hook up to our trailer, by a bank figure, by followers, by grades. But as Christians like Paul, we choose to say that we'll be content. In fact, in fact, we'll be more than sufficient to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. So I want to invite you to take that with you this week, this idea that our flourishing comes as we know Jesus and as we're known by Jesus. And allow that to be the peace that defines us and our lives. And as I hopefully said all along through the scripture today, that's not easy, it's not natural but that's the progress and the call of God in our lives. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.